The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. you because you're great and you're awesome and you're beyond our, our, the farthest stretches of our imagination. You're the God who created everything, who simply spoke and everything appeared in existence. You're the God who rules all creation. The God in whom we live and move and have our very being. The God of the entire universe. Compared to you, we are but dust. And yet you love dust such as us. Enough that you might send your only beloved son to die in our place. To die for our sins that we might have everlasting life. And we've come this morning with hearts that are set on worshiping you. We've come because we love you. We've come because we know that we need you. We've come because we want to offer to you the the gratitude of our hearts through our songs and through our prayers, through our attention to your word. And we've come because we want to hear you speak to us through your word this morning. We thank you for the precious gift of your word. We thank you that through it you still speak to men. And that even this morning you've got for us a message that we must hear. And so we come with open hearts. We pray that in these moments, Lord, you would quiet our minds and you would quiet our thoughts. We pray that you would calm our anxious spirit, that you would cause the worries and concerns of life to just fade away in these moments, that we might focus on your son Jesus, that we might focus on the gospel. We're grateful this morning. Father, for the Harold family, for Brian and for Becky and their four children who minister even this morning on the shoreline of a remote part of Mozambique as they travel by boat up and down the coastline, bringing the gospel to a people group of over 300,000 who have been unreached with the gospel thus far. We pray that this day, Lord, as they go about their ministry, that you would cause the gospel that they bring to go out in power. That you would cause it to plant in the hearts of the people who live there. That you would cause faith to spring forth and new life to be birthed in Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would use this family and the gospel that they bring to to plant the gospel deep among this people group in Mozambique. We pray for the new converts that have already come to know Christ. We pray for the the young leaders in this indigenous church that you would give them courage and that you would give them strength, that you would help them to grow in their faith, that they might in turn take the gospel even further, and that your gospel might spread like fire. We pray for your protection for this missionary family. We pray that you would... Out of your abundance, supply their every need. We pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. 
that they might somehow know this morning that their brothers and sisters in Christ all the way around the world know them and love them, care for them, and pray for them. And Father, we pray for the rest of our missionaries who are all over the place this morning sharing the gospel, some in dangerous places, others in unreached groups, some in urban areas that are just dark. We pray that your gospel would go out with power through them this morning and that you would care for them by the power of your Spirit. And Father, we have the wonderful opportunity to worship you this morning, and so we've come to do that. We have the the privilege of opening up your word and studying your very words. So this morning, Lord, as we pull up to your table, we pray that you would lay out for us a feast that we might eat of your food and from it grow in our faith and grow in our love, grow in our commitment to serving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray for our pastor this morning as he opens the word to teach us. Empower him by your spirit. May your word flow through him and plant deeply into our hearts, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter 4. I'd forgotten my watch this morning, so I called Judy and said, When you come, bring it. So she brought it. The battery was dead. Any fear in the room? Look, everybody's offering me their watch. If I can, if I can keep them. No, then she gave me her watch, which I can't see. So we're good. I've got this Fitbit thing, but you have to push a button to make that look at that time. First Peter four. Peter returns here at the beginning of this chapter to the subject of Christ's suffering, which he does bring us back quite often, prepares the believers for suffering that may come their way or already at the doorstep or already experiencing it intensely. And throughout 1 Peter, we've seen this already. He's developing this theology of suffering uh, which focuses on Christ. Like I said, you, you, you go several verses, he'll bring us back to Christ. You go through another little section, he brings us back to Christ. Uh, the one who suffered for his people, suffered vicariously for his people. The prophets, they knew this was going to happen. It was in their word. The prophets of the Old Testament had told them there would be one who comes and suffers. On their behalf. And then Peter um, shares with us a reminder of those things. He, in, in chapter 2, 24 and 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, and now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We just sang that, um, I recall, during the prayer. Um, He has come to break sin's power. He's come to set us free. He was born that glorious hour, Christ our mighty King. And that chorus, Alleluia, hope has come. Alleluia, Christ has come. We once were slaves in misery, till you appeared and set us free. 
Hallelujah. Hope has come that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, as he quotes Isaiah there. And because of his sufferings, we participate in that suffering. Verse 13 of, of chapter 4, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That, that suffering is a privilege for us, he tells us in, in um, chapter 1, verse 6. And this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials. And then verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him now. You believe him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's a privilege to suffer with him. And then... It's a cause for joy. We go back to chapter 4, uh, verse 13. Rejoice insofar as you share in his suffering. Peter makes it clear that our identification with Christ is an invitation to have the mind of Christ, but also to suffer in the body on his behalf. And he says that at the very beginning. And Chapter 4, verse 1. I'll read those first six verses. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And that's the reading of God's word. Kate Arthur. Does that name ring a bell? It's been used a lot this week. Kate Arthur lives in Los Angeles. Um, young uh, writer, journalist for some group or organization or company called BuzzFeed. She wrote an article declaring that Chip and Joanna Gaines, I'd never heard their names before until this week, they're stars of HGTV. That I think I've heard of, but never seen. But they're stars of that that show, that station's uh, most popular show. And the article that she wrote was declaring that this couple, who apparently are Christians, are members of a church that oppose same-sex marriage. In other words, the star, I, I tried to boil this down. In other words, the stars of HGTV's most popular show are members 
of a Christian church that holds to historical, traditional Christianity. God forbid. They're guilty of the crime of being members of a Christian church that stands on the teaching about marriage that's thousands of years old. I, you know, in, in a moment of hilarity, I thought, or maybe it's sadness. I bet that church doesn't believe in sex before marriage either. That didn't even make its way into the article. Wait till she finds that out. discovers the deep, dark secret that they don't approve of sex before marriage either. So do I belong to that church, too, that holds to historic, traditional Christianity. And millions of others, believers around the world. But just so you'll know, that's just a little sort of funny taste of how it will continue. It'll continue to run this way. Peter said it 2,000 years ago. They will malign you. And worse. Now, I, I, this is not just a culture war we're talking about. This is a slow, very slow, not my lifetime, not your lifetime, probably not even your kids' lifetimes. This is a slow path I say slow, and I give that example of slow, but what has happened in the last year, in the last 12 months in the United States, mind-boggling, the slow path toward severe suffering that Christians in our nation will eventually accept as a normal way of life. It's already happening in other places. And what we must understand, as Peter is saying, that you, your choice to live in obedience to Jesus Christ is the choice of suffering. Oh, Melania, your sticks and stones and break my bones, words that never hurt me, they can talk about the gains all they want in the church they belong to. That's not going to really bother them. It's just pressure to have HGTV close down the show. And Peter is teaching these people and us in this letter that the choice to obedience to Christ is the choice of suffering. And I will say that if you are not suffering at some level in your life right now based on your commitment to Christ, then it's important that you this very day examine that commitment how you're living your life. Some people do. Just recently, and it's, it, it, they're small little things now, but they're, they're just baby steps for something that will be greater. Just recently, my wife was not brought into a discussion of a couple of women on our street simply because she was a believer. And one of them told her. They're not even shameful about it. And as it comes, it'll hit us hard because we're so comfortable, aren't we? 
I'm amazed at how comfortable we are in our church. The best illustration I could give is like the wealthy man who's had everything and and nothing has nothing to uh, has needed nothing in his life, and then all of a sudden he loses everything. That's a harsh reality for somebody to face. It's more harsh than the guy who lives paycheck to paycheck. He loses everything. Well, I don't have a paycheck this week. It's not, you know, we'll figure it out. Well, for us, we're the wealthy man who will lose everything. And the hurt will really hurt because we're so comfortable. And Peter's saying to us, Get your minds ready for this. Get your minds ready. Wherever the gospel goes, there will be one of two responses. Christianity will be embraced by those God calls to himself, or Christianity will be rejected. They will see you and you take the gospel to them, they will see you as a brother or sister, or they will malign you or attack you. Jesus told us as much. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, when we think about that verse, a lot of times we think about it in the context of the Great Commission. God sent Jesus out there, and so he's sending us out there. But what did he go through in that sending? He sent him to unspeakable suffering. So as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you to unspeakable suffering. Get your minds ready for that. Jesus, in Matthew 10:25, it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? As the Father sent me, not just sending them to go tell. It includes the suffering that Jesus suffered. Every aspect of what Jesus encountered in his life, as the Father sent me, attacks, pain, suffering, death, God has sent him to the darkest of hatred and contempt. And so I send you, he says. Point of First Peter is to choose suffering over silence. Choose suffering over silence. You can keep your mouth shut and be safe. That's disobedience. Choose suffering over silence. But he also says, and we'll see in this passage, his point is choose suffering over sin. And the main point is right here in verse 1. Since Christ suffered, settle your minds right here and now that you're going to also. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
just several verses earlier, um, Peter tells us in chapter 3, verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It is better. And then he goes to the next verse and gives us Christ's example of suffering. That Pastor Greg shared with us last week. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 2.24, we read already, he himself bore our sins in his body. And so since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, and that's all-encompassing. That's not just his death. That's all-encompassing. Arm yourselves. That word translated arm means exactly what it sounds like. It's a military term. It refers to taking up weapons. Peter uses this word to encourage the people, to spur them on to thinking properly. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. And the forefront of, 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 of Peter's instructions or teaching to his people that he's writing to, those people, you know those people? Remember who they are? The elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those people? At the forefront is they get their minds right. Do they affirm the right doctrines? Do they look for grace and, and, and power, the, the grace and power of God for their hope? Do they ground their belief and their behavior on their great God and Savior, the work of Christ? Are they humbled? Are they encouraged by the example of Jesus Christ, the, the one who died for them? Are they inspired by the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ? What are they thinking? That's important to Peter. What's the state of mind of the people that I'm writing to? Think about that soldier. Today, putting on his armor. Just today. Some, one of our military guys out there, it's time to go out into the field. And they put on their armor. They arm themselves seriously and with great care. They put on their bulletproof vest. They don't just walk out the door without that thing on. They put on their helmet. They don't just walk out without their helmet on. If you miss something, you're going to end up dead. So arm yourself properly and with the same seriousness and the same care that a soldier arms himself. Christians, adopt Christ's attitude in your mind, the mind of Christ. Since Christ died, since Christ suffered, we're to have that same way of thinking, he says. Recognize that you've died to sin. You have ceased to sin, he says. Paul talks about this mental 
behavior as well. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because I've died to sin, I hate sin. So I forsake it to the point of a willingness to be maligned because of it. He says, you've ceased to sin there. That's confusing. We'll talk about that some. 2.24. It's the same thing as bore our sins in his body. By his wounds you've been healed. We've died to sin. See that in the middle of verse 24 in chapter 2. We've died to sin. Ceased to sin. We see in the last part of of, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 thinking with the same mind of Christ arms us to withstand. And you say, what was Christ thinking? What does he mean, arm yourself with the same way that Christ thought? Well, the best place to see that is uh, chapter 2, verse 21. Look at that. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He's an example, so think his way. He leaves you an example so that you might follow his steps. What are, what are, he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. What's his thought process? Sinless, no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. He... he in other words, he didn't return evil for evil, as Peter instructs his people a verse later. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the Father. That's, that's the thinking, that's the thought process that Peter's talking. You say, you arm yourself with that kind of thinking. Put on that thinking as a soldier would put on his weapon, his armor. Peter's already talked about that some in, for, in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And we see what those passions are in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. I just read them. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And then in chapter 5, with a couple of verses, he deals with this, these passions. Be sober-minded puts it all together here. Be sober-minded. Your mind, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Is it going to be you? You don't prepare your mind. It may be you. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So Peter teaches us, since Christ died to sin, we ought to arm ourselves with the understanding that we are also done with sin. 
to be our attitude, our outlook. Think of it. Think of it this way. The truth that is demonstrated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the suffering and resurrection of Jesus Christ, arms the believer, arms those of you that are believers with the appropriate attitude to face whatever's ahead, to face the daily battle. Kate Wilkinson, one of her verses in her hymn, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By His love and power controlling all I do and say. Now, Paul would uh, agree with Peter in this particular teaching. Paul asked in Romans 6 that rhetorical question, What shall we say then? Are we, con- are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know that thought of Christians who are satisfied with sin? Have you ever thought about that? Those, those believers who are just satisfied with sin and they just, they just want a ticket to heaven that they can cash in when they die? That's just, that, that teaching is foreign to Scripture. You don't ever see anything that hints of that. You just keep on sinning. Don't worry, you're a believer. You can cash in that ticket when you die. Some people love their sin that much. Uh, but that, that teaching is from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. Robert Mount says, To be joined to the one who died for sins is to have given up sin as a way of life. Christ met sin in mortal combat and was victorious. And you can be too. We are to adopt that same attitude, Peter says. Just as he died for sin... In Him we have died to sin. We have ceased from sin. That's a hard statement. You say, well, I'm not sinless. You haven't ceased completely from sin. And it doesn't mean that you're sinless. It simply means that you're, you're done with a sinful way of life. You're released from the power of sin as a true believer. Paul expresses that too in Romans chapter 6. There's a parallel here between Romans 6 and 1 Peter 4, the believers united with Christ in His death, Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, death brought freedom from sin. Look at verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin, ceased from sin, Peter would say, and therefore alive in Him in his resurrection. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So, therefore, the believer who is now to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God. He sees that in verse 11. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. So arm yourself with the mind of Christ. 
means to die to self. Just wrap it all up in this part of the verse. Die to self. Deny yourself. Jesus denied himself to the ultimate. He suffered for us in the flesh. Lived a pure and righteous life. Men persecuted him for it. Men persecuted Christ for his righteous living. Peter says, they will malign you for it. Bore humiliation, ridicule, mockery, beatings, and even death to glorify his Father and save his people. And as the Father sent me, even so send I you humiliation, ridicule, mockery, beatings, and maybe even death. In the flesh, he didn't want to suffer. In the flesh, Christ didn't want to suffer. He had flesh just like ours. He had the flesh of humanity. His flesh desired, wanted to escape the abuse of men. He suffered even as we suffer. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 remind us of that. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. But he denied himself, went ahead and did the will of his Father. And we see that in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The message that Peter's giving to these believers and to us is for those who have armed themselves with the mind of Christ, you've been set free from your earlier way of life. There's part one and there's part two as there will probably be in this sermon too. There's a part one to your life. There's a part two to your life. Part one is that old way of living. Part two is after Christ has called you to Himself. You no longer live for yourself but for God. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. That is, that's part two. And sometimes you see in the flesh, and he's, in the New Testament, is talking about sinful living, fleshly living. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's just talking about living life here. And to live so as to live, those two words, to live, it actually means to conduct your life. Not just breathing, but to conduct your life, the behavior that reflects the either the ways of the world, the human passions, or the will of God. Your, there are only two choices. He's already told his readers not to conform to evil desires. Chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's the same thing he says in verse 2 of chapter 4. Verse 11 of chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And once more he reminds them of their past, 
and points their attention, their minds, to obedience to God the Father. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but the will of God. It's the purpose, the the result of arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. The result of that is that we choose the will of God. So that we will live the rest of the time that we have to live according to His will, and we don't choose the human passions that continue to tug at us every single day. There's that great contrast. You faced that dilemma yesterday. You'll face that dilemma today. Human passions contrasted with the will of God. Two choices. There are only two choices. It's really simple. It can't be shocking to people when you're witnessing to people how simple it really is. There are only two choices. It's an either-or proposition. You choose human passions or the will of God. That's it. It's not rocket science. John boils down this entire thought in 1 John 2, verses 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life... Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Forever. So the question you ask yourself, can my, my passions conform to the will of God? Matthew Henry says, it's a rather long quote, but it, it, it's, so, it's, it's so wonderful. The strongest and best arguments against sin are taken from the sufferings of Christ. He died to destroy sin. And though he cheerfully submitted to the worst sufferings, yet he never gave way to the least sin. Temptations could not prevail were it not for man's own corruption. But true Christians make the will of God, not their own lust or desires, the rule of their lives and actions. And true conversion makes a marvelous change in the heart and life. So sad, we, even Matthew Henry had to use the word true because there's so many false conversions out there. Churches are full of people who've been converted falsely. But he uses it. True Christians make the will of God, not their own lust or desires, the rule of their lives and actions. And true conversion makes a marvelous change in the heart and life. And that point's clear. Recognizing that sin has neither right nor power over your life, has no control over those who are in Christ, who are committed to Him. The believer can live according to this new teaching. It's not new to us. It's new to the people who's reading Peter's letter for the very first time. That you can live the rest of your time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. John Piper said, The enemy's flaming darts and God's great commission make spiritual warfare unavoidable and spiritual pacifism suicidal. Suicidal. 
I don't know how much spiritual warfare you're dealing with from the outside world. But I know that we as a group, as a church, we struggle mightily with spiritual pacifism. And it's suicidal. And unless we get that right, grace only actually dies. So arm yourself for combat. Identify with Christ. Identify with Christ in His self-denial. Suffering of death. Deny the desires of the flesh, those human passions, in order that you might please God and save men. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. For His Father's glory. We do this by keeping our thoughts, Peter says, our minds on the suffering and self-denial of Christ and accepting it as the way of life for us. And we can conquer the flesh and its desires by arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. A person who suffers for Christ has chosen to identify himself with Christ. You see that? Identify. You see, we see that word in today's culture a lot. It's often referred to sexuality. I identify as a homosexual, or I identify as a heterosexual, or I as a, even though I have earrings and long hair and certain body parts, I identify as a male, or I identify as a female. Identify with Christ. Your identity is in Christ, believer, not your sexuality or anything else. He's chosen to deny himself and his fleshly desires and his sufferings of death. Note, too, the more a person suffers for Christ, this is important. It's a good reminder in the middle of the suffering. The more a person suffers for Christ, the closer he comes to Christ. When do you pray the most? In the darkest, most painful times, right? So the one who suffers for Christ, and the more you suffer for Christ, the closer you come to Christ. The more the desires and passions of the flesh lose their appeal. The more the desires and passions of flesh lose their power over you. Having the mind of Christ means that your passion will be the will of God first and foremost. So listen. The committed believer must prepare themselves. You must prepare yourself to endure physical suffering. And the New Testament is chock full of comparisons between Christ and the followers of Christ with respect to suffering. 
Over and over and over again we see it. Romans 8, 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 1 Corinthians 11. Paul lists all those sufferings that he encountered as a believer. Verse 23 and on. Imprisonments, countless beatings, near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned and on and on and on with what he went through. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. I want that heart. Every time I read those verses, I say to myself, I want that heart. And I fail. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Hebrews 10.32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. John in the Revelation, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Wrap your minds around this truth, Peter's saying. Your way of thinking must be the way of Christ. But it's not all dark. There's hope. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. We rejoice, Lord, in the sufferings. We rejoice that you have brought us to the place where we can be satisfied in whatever comes our way because we know there is a greater hope. We rejoice, Father, that you brought people to Yourself who can actually have Your mind. So, Father, do that work in us. And to You be all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.